sister, Hannah Matla Bas Choni. May she have a very great Aliyah Neshama to the greatest of heights. And a lot, a lot, a lot of brachas to you. And a good gebench diar to you and your family. Uh, the shir was also dedicated by Rabbi Yochanan Mansuri, and this is in honor of his mother's yard site, Esther Bas Avram HaKohen, whose yard site is going to be Thursday, Yud Beis May her neshama have a tremendous great aliyah. May she channel lots of brachas to you and your mishpacha for a wonderful, wonderful gebench the new year and a good preparation for the new year and a mazel and shaduchim for the children and parnasah brachav and only, only good. Thank you so much for this dedication. Um, another dedication we have was by Rabbi Ruve Nathanson and this is in honor of his anniversary which is tonight and he's doing it in honor of his wife, Hannah Liba. May the Abish to bench you and your husband with much, 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 much bracha and many, many, many happy, happy, healthy, healthy years together. Nachas from the children and Parnasa Barachava and may the two of you, um, may the, the, the biggest wish in your heart, uh, the coming of Mashiach, be materialized. Uh, we, should, uh, we should already see a lot, a lot of good and all the good things you want to do should um, also come to fruition. Mazel tov and mazel tov. Another anniversary tonight. Um, this was by Rabbi Velvel Sikman, and this is in honor of his wife Polina, whose anniversary today, their anniversary is also today. May Hashem bench you both with happy, healthy, healthy, healthy years, and a lot of, lot of mazel and achas from the children, and bracha and pranasa barchav and agutke bench yar, and only, only, only good things. Thanks to those that have dedicated. The CD this week was sponsored by... Enoch Kimmelman. So first I want to give him a big, big, big mazel tov upon his um, marriage of his daughter last week. Um, to Ellie Leibovitz, may they both build a bias neman by Yisrael, a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful, beautiful home. They just concluded their Sheva brachas. And a, um, and he did it, l'schus, the yard site of his father that is tonight, Shmuel Zanvel, Ben Chayim Velvel, all of Ashalom. May his neshama have the greatest aliyah, and may he channel lots of brachas to you, Enoch, and to your mishpacha, 
for only good mazel and good things, all the brachas imaginable and that which is not imaginable, and everything should materialize down here in this Gashmiyastiga world in a revealed good and a good kebenched yard to you and your family. Okay, I'd like to announce now a couple of really, really exciting events coming up at Mayan. You should be seeing in the markets and in the stores a, a brochure, a magnificent, beautiful brochure that has been made uh, to let you know of all the exciting things happening in Mayan over the next few weeks. Now, um, if after listening to all these events at some point you're going to say, i got to get to this year, I want to announce one that I really, really want you to come. Next week, Tuesday night, is Chai El. It's the anniversary of Mayan Yisrael. We're going into our ninth year. It's, it's a very, very, very auspicious time for us. It's the birthday of the Holy Baal Shem Tov, the birthday of the Holy Balatanya, and we're going to celebrate big time next week, Tuesday night. A magnificent, gorgeous, I'm telling you, I'm putting my kishkas into this because this is going to be great. Now you are without an av. You're not going to be here. You're going to hear the next day, you missed my and Yisrael last night. It was the greatest event. And you're going to say, okay, you know what? I sat on my couch and I didn't do anything. There is going to be um, a, a group of musicians here led by Ben C. Marcus, uh, a choir from the new group called Nigun Society. And they are going to be singing Chassidish and Agunim to lift your spirits and elevate your soul to the greatest heights. Playing and sis- gorgeous music here. This is not a fundraiser. It's, not, it's just to inspire. Come to Maya next week. Be part of this beautiful, beautiful event. Next week, 7.30 till about 11 over here at Mayan. It will help if you make a reservation. It's a little cheaper, $18 if you make a reservation, 25 at the door. Um, so please come next week, Tuesday night, celebrate the Balshemtov's birthday. Uh, we will also have storytelling. It's going to be one gorgeous evening. Next week, Tuesday night. The se- um, I don't even know, or September what? September 20th. Okay. Um, what else is happening this week? Tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night, second class of the, the women's think, in which you women can get to learn how to learn. This is being taught by my daughter Zisi Zirkind. Uh, first class was phenomenal. Um, it continues tomorrow night. You can learn with a chavrusa. She guides you in learning. She gives you a sheet to help you learn on your own, and then afterwards gives a class. So that's tomorrow, 8 o'clock, for all women and girls. Even if you missed the first class, you come to the second class. There will be one more after this. This is a good, good, good chance. Tomorrow night. Now, another event. Wednesday night. We are having Reflect. Reflect is a sheer fascinating class. I'm very excited about this one. I'm excited about all these things. That's why I do them. But there's Rabbi Mendy Rubenfeld from Chabad of Poway. Now let me tell you why this is a special class. Because I've spoken to him. We, were, we, we, we had a lot of conversations, me and him, about Moshiach. I'm Mashiach frantic, and he, maybe is a little more down to earth than I am in the whole subject, but he has really done a magnificent research about the advances that there are in today's world of science, and he correlated all of that with, the, with what the sages tell us Mashiach is going to be like. And his, so his whole presentation is going to be, it's going to be a multimedia presentation, in which he's going to show how under, right beneath our noses and our eyes that we're not even noticing, the world has already entered into Mashiach's world. 
And it's just that we're still stuck in some gullah's place. But of course, obviously, we didn't hear the shofar shem Shiach, and there's still someone sick in the hospital that needs a refuah shalem, and that we should have, Hashem should help, we should have the refuah shalem. But we're talking about to begin to realize that the most greatest metamorphosis is taking place in front of our eyes, but if you don't study it and you don't examine it, you can miss it. And it's really, really sad to be at a party and miss the party. So, next, this is this week, Wednesday night, 8 o'clock at Mayon, Rabbi Mendy Rubenfeld is going to do this presentation on a big screen here. It's going to be really, really special. So come and join. Thursday night, delve deep into Hasidic learning on the Thursday night class. I'm not going to advertise that night right now, but it's really good. Thursday night at Mayon, my class, three, th- uh, a couple of hours of real good Hasidus for Rosh Hashanah for the week. Um, Shabbos afternoon, another spect- uh, 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 very interesting class that we began two weeks ago. We, broke, we, we didn't have it this past week. You can come to class number two. I will review the main idea. It begins at 5.15 Shabbos afternoon. That's Explore. We're holding in the middle of the Mimer, Kihaharim Yamushu. Really fascinating class. Sunday morning, my son-in-law, Rabbi Mendel Zirkin, great guy, phenomenal good guy, has a lot to teach and a lot to say. Uh, this is called Navigate, getting, getting the high of the high holidays. Uh, the class is going to be at 10 o'clock a.m. for men and women, Sunday morning, this coming Sunday, September 18th. It's called Elul Overcoming Our Inferiority Complex. Uh, it's going to be a really good class. I recommend everybody come join Elul Overcoming Our Inferiority, Inferiority Complex this Sunday morning, September 18th at 10 o'clock. And... That's it. Oh, wait. Sunday night, we have again the second class by Rabbi Yukusil Kalmanson. And that class is called, um, let me find it over here, Shuva Demystified. And that's part two of part one. If you want to listen to part one, it's on our website. It's a great class that he gave last night. Um, so that's going to happen tomorrow, I mean next week, Sunday evening at 8 o'clock. And the next, we will all announce all the other things next week. All right. Um, and again, I want to announce, if anybody wants a reminder, because there's so many things happening, and if you want a reminder and not to miss any of these really good events, please take your phone right now and text to the number 41411. Again, the number is 41411. Text the word LIFE. And when you text the word LIFE, you'll automatically be be subscribed for a text. And it's going to just remind you on the day of an event that the, the event is happening. Thank you. All right. Um, um, tonight is Parshas... What's Parsha? Tonight is Parshas Kiseitze. And Parshas Kiseitze, we read, we learn about both the mitzvah of marriage and the, mitzvah, and the possibility of chas v'shalom getting a divorce. So marriage and divorce is discussed both in Parshas Kiseitze. The interesting thing about, divorce, about, about marriage and divorce is that the Torah, even though it speaks about uh, marriage, it slips, it slips all the talk about marriage into the story of divorce. Meaning it doesn't speak of marriage independently, it speaks of marriage kind of as a detail in the laws of getting divorced, which is like the strangest thing because it should have been the opposite. If anything, it should have, if it wants to mention divorce, which is sadly a possibility, as long as our world is not yet a perfect world, there are situations that call for a divorce, but yet... It says, when a man will take a, 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 a woman, and he will have 
intimate relations with her. I mean, if we get married to her, and then uh, she will not find favor in his eyes. ervas because he found in her some kind of an immoral matter. Because of law, then he should write for her sefer krisus, a bill of divorce. Venasan beyada, he will give it in her hands. He will send her away from his house. In this very passage is where we learn out all the laws of marriage. So the laws of marriage are kind of swallowed in the laws of divorce. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it would have been much better had it been the other way around. It would make more sense. There's the laws of getting married, and swallowed in the laws of marriage, there is a possibility of divorce. Why would the Torah go and do the opposite? Speak about the laws of divorce, and within divorce place the, the, the aspect of marriage. It's a strange, very strange thing that needs some clarification. Now, um, when we look Bichlal at the idea at a divorce, we find a, a very, very big paradox. There is, a, there is something extremely paradoxical in a divorce. In order for, for a person to give a get, uh, a get is a document, a, a piece of parchment or paper that is given as to uh, bring about the severance of a marriage, chas v'shalom. The words... The the um, the Torah calls this get a sefer krisis. It says over here, for the cost of law, he should write for her sefer krisis, a bill of divorce, literally translated, a book of severance. He gives her a book of severance. So we learn. So from these two words, we learn out opposite things. From the word krisis, which means severance. We learn out that the, that the divorce has to bring about an absolute severance between husband and wife. There can't remain any attachment from the man to his wife. No strings attached in that divorce. Once he gives her the divorce, it has to be a complete cutoff. Krisos, kores, kores means to cut. It has to snip the connection completely. What would that mean? If he, for instance, if a person would make certain conditions with his wife and say, I am giving you this divorce, but it's only valid as long as you never shop in Macy's ever again for your rest of your life. And then, so then at the whole divorce, even if we know for sure, even if she swears, she's, she makes a, takes an oath, she's not going to go to Macy's. And even if she says, I never went to Macy's, I don't like Macy's, I'm not going there, it doesn't make a difference. The very fact that he puts something in that divorce that restricts her in any way, shape, or form, to his control, whatever it is, so then divorce is not a divorce. But, okay, so we see it has to be an extreme severance, which makes sense, that's what get is all about. It's a very sad thing, but it is a blade that cuts off the, the husband from the wife. Fine. However, since it says sefer, so sefer, the word sefer, we learn out other halachas. What other halachas do we learn now? The Gemara learns out that a get has to be similar to a sefer Torah. Because a Torah scroll um, has lines on it. You write it and you'll see, if you take a look at this Torah, it has these, they're not, I mean they're visible, but they're not like lines, uh, like written, but there are indentures that are lines in a sefer Torah. A get, lechatchila doesn't, if you don't have it, it doesn't make the get puzzle, but a get should also have like uh, these, anyways, and it has these um, lines in them. A get is supposed to have those lines. Why? Because it says safer. It's a strange word to say safer. It's not a book. 
It's a, it's a, it's a, should have said a star or something, a ksav. It's a writing. Sefer, a book. In what way is a book? It's a small little document. It's called Sefer to compare it to a Sefer Torah. Sefer Torah has to have shirtut. So here too, also it should have lines. One of the things. Another halacha. It should be written in a manner where the, it is, its length is longer than the width. Because, because only like that does it look like a book and it doesn't look like a letter. In other words, if you make the get being very wide and you're writing very long lines and it's longer, it's wider than, its, than the length, it's, it's not that it's not good, but it has to be written that way. Why? Because it's again, it's compared to a Sefer Torah. Now, Sefer Torah is really wider than it is longer, but we're talking about each column. Each column itself that's written, it's written with the, the length is longer than the width. That's Allah. So it could be compared to a Sefer Torah. Which over here is a strange thing. Because if, 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 if you think a little bit about, see, well, what's a get? A get is a something that brings, that cuts, something that causes division, something that causes separation. Now that is absolutely antithetical to Torah. Because what is Torah all about? Torah is about all about fusion. Torah is all about harmony. The Rambam says when he describes what is the essence of Torah and the, and the end of the laws of Hanukkah, that the whole Nitna Torah, the Torah wasn't given Ella only. It wasn't given for any other reason. Lasoy shalom ba'olam, to make peace in the world, to bring people together, to unify all of mankind until everybody will live in peace and harmony. That's what the Torah does. It will eventually lead the world to universal peace. That's the effect of Torah on the world. That's the whole essence, that's what Torah is all about. Get is all about cutting, cutting off, separating, distancing. Taking two beings that were together, that initially at least thought they would live in peace and harmony. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And now, chas and there has to be a breakage. So, that's the, so now the question is, what kind of comparison can there be between a get, which is all about dividing, and Torah, which is all about unity and bringing together? To make, to, to make the question stronger, the unity that we find in Torah, in the get is even deeper than the unity and the oneness that we find in a Sefer Torah. See, a Sefer Torah can be written, and not just it can be written, it is written on many pieces of parchment sewn together. You take parchment, 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 and you make, I don't know how many pieces of parchment there are, but there are many pieces, and they're sewn together. A get has to be written on one piece of parchment. You can't read it, you can't piece it together from a bunch of pieces. Now simply, it's, it's a small little, it's just a few little lines. And a Sefer Torah is a lot, so of course a Sefer Torah is impossible really to write it, maybe unless you're writing it teensy-weensy, but generally you, couldn't, you have to write it on many parchments. But over here there's a specific halacha that it must be written on one. The Gemara learns it out because it says, Sefer, Sefer echad amarachmanov eloishnayim one Sefer, the Torah says, and not two or three Sefarim. So what does that tell you? That tells you just right here and now that even though Get seems to be a, a, a force that severs and cuts and breaks, that's on the surface. There has to be something deeper over here that the Get is really about unity and about oneness 
not only about oneness, but even deeper oneness than Torah. Which is absurd, how can that be? A get is the total opposite of, 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 of oneness. Okay, let's take it further. I mentioned at the beginning of the class that where do you know the laws of Kedushin from? The laws of marriage? All the laws of marriage are learned out from Gitin. How do you know that? It says like this, again. Where do you know, see, we know when we get married, we have three possibilities in which one can betroth, can marry a woman. Three technical ways in which you can do there is the common way that everybody does, and it's instituted today that we must, that this is the way we marry, we get married. And that is by giving money. Money or monetary value. Okay, so we give a ring today. You can give anything that's the worth of money. It's to be a certain minimum amount. And that's how the man betrothed the woman, saying, you are Mekudesh Asli with this ring or with this value. That's called Kedushe Kesef. There's another Kedushin. And that's called Kedushe Shtar. Shtar is when you write a document... And you hand over a man, and even if there's no, no value, he says, you are Mikudesh Asli, and he gives her over a piece of paper saying that, and with the witnesses and all that. It's, a, it's, a, it's marriage through contract. He makes a contract that he's getting married. It's another way. There's another way, Bia. If he has intimate relations with her, with the intention that this should be a Kedushan. This should be an act of acquisition in which they're becoming husband and wife. So that's a, a third way that one can acquire these two. How do you know them? So there is no parsha in the Torah dealing with getting married. The parsha of the Torah that deals with, with, with getting married, as we said, is included in the parsha of getting a divorce, chas v'shalom. It says, when a man will take a wife and he will marry her, and then he finds in her an immoral thing, and he doesn't like her, and he wants to divorce her. Okay. So from the laws of how it describes, a man will take a wife. And again, the man taking the wife is only part of the story of him divorcing her. The Torah is not saying it as, let me tell you how to get married. It's telling you if a man gets married, doesn't like her, and this is what he should do. But in the, ver- in the verbiage, in the words that it's using, when it says, and a man will take a wife, it uses the word kiyikach, when he will take. So taking, the sages learn out, whenever it says taking, how do you take? You take through a money exchange. We learn it out from Avram Avinu taking the field to bury Sarah. There it also says take, and there he exchanges money with Ephron. Over here, Tor, it means taking, fine. Then it says, Uba Allah, and he will have relations with her. So from there we learn out the second way of getting married, that he can do it through an intimate relation. Then it says, how do you know that he can marry her through a document? It says later, if he doesn't like her, he sends her out of the house. Viyatsa, she will go out. And she will marry someone else. So the, the sages say, we take a look at the words ju- juxtaposed. The Torah puts these words one next to each other. Viyatsa, she will go out, which is the divorce. Vahoisa, and she will be to another man, which is the sec- her second marriage. She's getting married now to another man. So viyatsa. So we do a comparison. That's called a hekish. A hekish is in the Torah. One of the thirteen ways in which the Torah methods in which we expound on the Torah is when you have two words one next to each other. So we compare the laws that apply to going out to the laws the opposite. You want to know how to bring a woman in, v'hoisa, how can she be to another man? How can the second man marry her? Similar to the first man sending her away. When he sent her away, how did he send her away? She exited how? By him giving her a bill of divorce. So to over here, he can marry her by giving her a bill of marriage. Okay. So you see that all the laws of marriage are derived from the laws of a divorce. Now, 
if marriage is, is marriage, and marriage we know for sure it's all about harmony and unity, the Torah says, husband and wife get together and they become one entity. They become one flesh. They're one, Chazal say a very powerful terminology, they say, your wife is like your body, it's not even like two separate beings. We know that originate as one soul, but then they come together, they physically become one body. They're not two, fine. Um, and the divorce is the total opposite. Now, if divorce is really, really, at its core essence, totally opposite than marriage, then how would we be learning out all the laws of marriage from divorce? doesn't make any sense. So there must be something over there in divorce that is, that is, that is a mystery. Something about it that is not face value what it looks like. There is something deeper. Okay? So we'll get to that. Another interesting thing is... When we take a look, let's take this further. When we take a look in, when we take a look in uh, Mishnah, this is in Torah Shabbat Sav. Till now we discussed the written law. Now let's take a look in, in Torah Shabbat Peh, in the oral law, and see how the Chachamim, how the sages discuss divorce. So when it comes to, the, when we take a look in, 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 uh, in, the, in the Mishnah, you find an astonishing, strange thing. The order of Mishnayis is that the laws, the tractate dealing with divorce comes before the tractate dealing with marriage. You would think it should be the opposite, no? You can't get divorced unless you're married, right? So the Torah should, the, the first Mesechta should be Mesechta's Kedushin. Not the first Mesechta in, in Mishnayis, but between the two, Kedushin should come first, marriage, and after that should come Gitin, which means divorce. Instead, in Mishnah, it works Gitin Kedushin. First is Gitin, and then is Kedushin. So it doesn't make any sense. Why in the world would you put Gitin before Kedushin? So the Rambam in his Pirisha Mishnayis, Maimonides in his Pirisha Mishnayis says, the reason the Torah puts the, the, the Mishnah, Rebbeinu HaKadosh, the author of Yehuda Nasi, who made the Mishnah, put Gitin before Kedushin, is because he was following the order of the Pasuk, of the Chumash. In Chumash, it's also that way. What does the Pasuk say? Viyatsa, she will be, go out, she will exit this husband, Vahoysa, and then she will go get married to the other man. So you see that the going out, the divorce, comes before the going in, the marriage. That's what Ramanadi says. But it's very strange. It's true it says, first getting divorced and then getting married, but that's only talking on the second husband. What did we say earlier? If the first man doesn't like her, and he sends her out, and she will now go and marry someone else. But first the Torah said, If a man takes a wife. So we're talking about the first husband marrying her. And then it says he doesn't like her, and he will divorce her. So which one does it say first? Marriage or divorce? Of course it says marriage first. It doesn't make, you can't even have the concept of getting divorced before you get married. So the Pasuk is clearly saying, If a man takes a wife. And he doesn't like her, and he's going to divorce her. So which one does it say first? First getting married, and then a divorce. So you're telling me, because later it says, he will send her out and she will get married. Good, that's the second marriage. But what's what the first marriage? That came before the divorce. So you have to say, you have to say an, ama- an interesting thing. That the reason why the Torah puts Gitin before Kedushin is because the whole gitin, which is a divorce, is not for divorce. It's for marriage. The reason there is gitin is for marriage, not for divorce. Now, 
on the simplest level, the reason the Torah lets her get divorced is not that she should stay unmarried. The reason the Torah lets her get divorced is so she can get married. The purpose over here is marriage. This marriage is not working out. Okay, fine. So now she has to get divorced so that she can get married. That's why you put the Gitin before Kedushin. If we would put Kedushin first, then you would say, it's a very big bracha to get married. Chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom, things don't work out. There can be, God forbid, Gitin. And it ended with Get. And, there's no, and the story ends there. That's the last chapter in the book. They got divorced and finished. It's over. So the, so the, so the Mishnah is saying, Beferish not. There is Gitin first. And the whole Gitin is for what purpose? Vahoisa, if necessary, it's only for the purpose, Vahoisa, to let her get married. Now, we see that actually in the get. When you take a look at the reading, the actual words in a get, it doesn't say, you are now chopped off from me. Get out of my life. Go, have, go, go, go do whatever you want. Go on, do your thing. It doesn't say that. It says, you are now permitted for any man. In other words, the whole get is you are permitted to get married. You're no more my wife, which means locked into me. Now you can go ahead and get married. Again, so what are you seeing from here? That the whole get is to get married. To the point even where, where it has to be, according to the halacha, that he has to actually permit her to marry any man in the world. If he starts making his restrictions, I am divorcing you and you're free to marry everyone besides that guy. Him not. Then again, it's not, then it's no divorce, because those are the strings attached that we spoke about earlier. But, or whatever, but you see what? That the essence of, the, of the, the get is, get is not about breaking, it's about building. It's just that over here you have a, pre, a, pre, a pre-step. You have to demolish for the sake of building, but there is a construction. In Torah and in Judaism, there is no concept of divorce where the end goal is divorce. It doesn't exist. It's only in preparation for, for a building, for a marriage. Spiritually, as we're going to see soon, on the deepest level, what it really, really is not applying to interpersonal relationships, husband and human, husband and wife, but applying to the ultimate marriage between God and the Jewish people. The whole idea of a get is a, 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 a severance, where the severance is not about severance, it's about of discovering something much deeper. It's, it's about getting married on a much higher, deeper level. But we're going to get to that soon. Okay? But you, 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 this idea is, get is not about get. You see it already from here. Now let's take that further. In, Mes, in Mesechta's Gitin, it's, now, until now we were speaking about why Kedushin comes after Gitin. And that tells you that the point, that Gitin is supposed to lead into Kedushin, into marriage. But now let's look in Gitin itself, how we see clearly that the divorce is not meant to be divorce. What do you see? In the end of Mesechta's Gitin, and we know always that the essence of something is expressed at the beginning and at the end. Chazal say a term, Hakol holech achar hachitum. Everything goes after the conclusion. So when we look at the end of Mesechta's Gitin, the last Mishnah Mesechta's Gitin discusses um, the, what are the circumstances that calls or permits a divorce? It's all the way in the end of Mesechta's Gitin. When are you allowed to get divorced? And the Mishnah begins with the words, Lo yigarish, one should not divorce. Generally, a person should not divorce his wife. Lo yigarish adam a man should not divorce his wife. And then it gives her, Ella, there is an exception. What's the exception? If he found in her an element of immorality. In other words, if he, 
he has suspicion or whatever reason to believe that she's cheating on him or whatever it is, then there is grounds for divorce. Besides for that, if there's no immoral, immoral issue, Beishamai holds, it is forbidden to divorce a wife. And according to the Beishamai, according to the, the, the commentators, the Beishamai wouldn't let him. It would absolutely not let him. It would force him to keep his wife. He's not allowed to divorce her unless he caught her doing something she's not allowed. She wouldn't be, be, she was unfaithful to him. Fine. If it means mamish or even close to it, but whatever it is, fine. Then there is a second. Basil argues. Basil is more lenient in the laws of divorce. And he says, even if she burns his, his food, she, she, she burnt his, his, his dinner, and he's all upset. Obviously, the deeper, the deeper meaning would mean is that he feels that she's not sensitive enough, she didn't care about him enough. Because if she would care, she would watch. I Maybe she was busy with 10 children and all the other things that a woman... But that doesn't... If she burnt it, fine. He's, he's out the door. He's divorcing her. Fine. Rabbi Silo says, okay, you're allowed to. Rabbi Akiva is even more lenient. And he says, even if he finds another woman more attractive than his wife, he can leave his wife or the other woman. Now usually the halacha is like Beis Hillel. So it would seem, seem like so. We said now that the end of Gitin is giving a very, very narrow door to getting divorced. Well, according to Beis Hillel, it's not so narrow. as if she makes any kind of a mistake that whatever, oh, you can divorce her. However, if you look in Gemara, because again, you can't just learn Mishnah. When you look in Gemara, you see that Beis Hillel's permission to divorce his wife if she burnt his food is only, and that's what it comes out from the end of the Gemara, is only in a second marriage. But in your marriage, in your wife of your youth, if your first wife, that you, that you may not divorce her, unless there is, an, there is a matter of immorality. But aside for that, one, sh, one is not allowed to get divorced. And the Gemara goes on to say that if someone divorces his first wife, then the Mizbeach, the altar, is weeping. The Mizbeach is crying. And though it's, so it's actually brought down in Halacha, in Shulchan Arach, the Ramah, right in the beginning of Hilchus Gitin, the Ramah says that one should never divorce his wife unless there is an immoral issue. And, and the Mepharshim asks, but Hillel says that you are, Basil says you are allowed. And they explain that, that that's, we're talking, that's only the second wife, not the first wife. First wife should never be divorced. And the Chelkes Machokek, who's one of the commentators on Shulchan Aruch, says that even in a case of immorality, one should not act fast at all. But one should, should not accept rumors, or what people are saying, or so, unless there is absolute clear evidence, and this and that, so then he has no choice, then he should divorce. But like this, he shouldn't believe. He should give her the benefit of the doubt all the time. Which means that, the Torah is very, very, very not found of divorce. Now again, with that is what Masechta's Gitin is concluded. Which means that the whole Masechta concludes not with yet divorce, but no divorce. Shouldn't be divorced. Divorce shouldn't happen. That's the, that's the end. Now, if you take a look at the beginning of Masechta's Gitin, we see another, over there too, in the beginning of it, we also see how divorce is is a no, not a yeah. What do you see in the beginning of Masech Gitin? In the beginning it says like this. The first laws of Masech Gitin begin with a man bringing a divorce for his wife from across the sea. Not a man bringing, an agent bringing a divorce. See, the laws by a divorce are as follows. That a man, if he wants to set, 
release his wife from the marriage. He gives her a get, and it says over there that you are now free to marry everyone, okay? He must give it over to her in her hands, okay? Or in her domain, in front of witnesses. Okay, fine. Then he can also, however, send a send an agent. You can send a shliach, an agent, to hand the divorce to the woman. If he can, whatever. If he doesn't want to go, he can send someone in his, in his stead, as an agent of his. Now, if this agent is coming from across the sea because the husband is in a faraway place, then, um, there is, then the Mishnah talks about that when this agent comes, the agent has to testify in front of the court that the divorce was written in front of the, in front of the witness. Before me it was written, and in front of my eyes it was signed. I was there at the time when the get was made. And that, that's what he must testify. The reasons for it is discussed in the beginning of Masech Git, and we're not going to get into it. That's what the, the Gemara is occupied in the first few pages in Masech Gitten. It's discussing a story of a husband sending an agent who's bringing the get from across the sea. Now, I empathize with people who have a hard time learning Talmud. Talmud is complicated, and for many people, it, it, it can be, when you, when you start learning, it can, it, can turn, it, can be, it can be a big turnoff immediately, because the way the Gemara is written, is written, it's so not like you would expect in an academic form of study, where you go into a class, you're learning about real estate. So the teacher is going to explain real estate, first, what real estate is, then, how do you purchase your real estate? How do you, and then the license of a real estate. And then all the laws in regards to the real estate agent and so on, so on, so on. And finally, you get to the details, 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 details at the very end of this thing. When it comes to Gemara, it doesn't work that way. The Gemara is just back and forth and confusing. Back. I mean, it, 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 once one learns how to learn, it's so unbelievably stimulating and exciting. But it is very, very hard to get a good picture. So the perfect example is this Mesechta's Gitin. If you were to write a book and to describe how, what you're supposed to do in a get, the first thing, what do you want to do the first thing? First thing we should have discussed is there bechalal grounds for a divorce. <laughs> that which I said earlier is the last Mishnah Mesechta's Gitin should have been the first Mishnah. First Mishnah Mesechta's Gitin should have said like this, really a person should not divorce his wife. If you have a problem, let's see what the problem is and discuss when it is a legitimate reason to divorce a wife. Once we've established already that this this sad situation has to happen. A divorce must go through. Okay, so now let's see why does a divorce discuss the get on, what, how, on how do you write a get? What kind of ink do you have to use? It's, all these are laws. How do you write it? What has to be the words? And then how it has to be signed? And then how it should be given over? There's a lot of law. Once you have the get, let's say the get is kosher already. Then there's a bunch of laws discussing the actual. Transmitting of the get, where the husband gives it to the wife, he has to give it into her hands or into her property. And there are so many cases that, that it's invalid because he didn't give it to her properly. And then all the rules we said before, if he makes conditions, all this could have been discussed in pages, pages, pages. After you're done with that, the next part should have been what? Now, what's the next? If you want, you can send a shliach. You don't have to do it yourself. Now, obviously, that's not a case. Most cases, the man comes himself. If for whatever reason he doesn't want to come, he sends a shliach, he sends an agent. Fine. Now, there is a remote possibility that what? That when you send an agent that the husband is living across the sea, and he's sending the agent. In those cases, you have to say so and so. 
That should have been the last clause in Masechtas Gitin. And so strangely, that's the first halachis in Masechtas Gitin. Why would the Gemara do that? Give you a detail that's not applicable to the get itself. It's not even a, it's not even part of shlich, a shli, of the agent situation. Only in a very remote situation. Why? Why? I mean, obviously there has been some. Even though we say Mishnah is not necessarily written in such a organized fashion, but there must have been a reason for some order over here. Here doesn't seem to be any order at all. Why is it doing this? Which is a strange thing. It's remote because when is it going to happen that the husband, usually a husband and a wife, it's, it's, it's uncommon. Usually the husband and a wife live in the, same, in, the same, in the same house. Maybe they're angry at each other, so good. She's living in one room and she's in the other room. Maybe they're so upset at each other that he moved around the corner. He's around the corner. Okay, maybe so. Okay, some severe, severe cases. The guy, he went, he went and he moved to a different city. Fine. But where do you have a case where the guy runs and he, and he goes to Australia? He goes across the sea. And from there he sends the get. It's very uncommon. And that should be the first. And the answer to that is, because if we dig deeper into Gittin, into the essence of what a get really is, we discover that the whole possibility of a get, in its spiritual meaning, not in a physical sense, but the spiritual meaning of a divorce, is only possible when the husband is across the sea. Since in the spiritual dynamics, this is the only possibility for a get ever to be given when the husband is across the sea. It's for that reason that the Mishnah, because since everything in the physical material world, in the Torah, everything begins as a spiritual concept. And then it materializes into the physical reality. So in the spiritual dynamics of marriage and divorce, divorce can only happen if the husband is across the sea, as we're soon going to see. For that reason, the Mishnah begins with that halacha, because that's... But since it's such a remote case, what does that really tell you? That gitin is a really, 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 really not. It's a very uncommon situation. It, sh- it cannot be, as we're going to see. So let's understand that a little better. What do we mean the spiritual element of gitin is only shayach, only possible, when the husband is across the sea? So the idea is as follows. There is marriage in this world because there is marriage in heaven. There is all marriage that there is in, 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 in all human marriage is a, deriv- a derivative of one primary marriage. And that is the marriage between God and Israel. The reason why Hashem created the world with the concept of marriage is because that's a mushal, that's a metaphor. And God wants us to really, really understand and appreciate the depth and the love and the intimacy and the connection that he has in, with each and every one of us, in addition to be a father and a child, a king and a subject, a shepherd and a, and a flock, God is showing us every aspect of our relationship, including the unique special love that there is between a husband and wife. And we are married to God. Shirashirim is full with the, the whole Shirashirim is built on the idea that Hashem is the husband and we are the bride. And Hashem is in love with us. And you have so many times where the, in Chazal, where it discusses our, our well, when was the marriage? The marriage was at Har Sinai. And over there, the Pasuk says, hayom umachar, you should make them holy today and tomorrow. And the Medrash says, from the, from the word, it means 
They should be mikudeshes. They should become betrothed. They should become married. Or it says the famous comment: Chazal are full with this idea that that with our relationship with God is marriage. But one of the primary one of the primary um, places that we know is, for instance, in Masechtas Tainus, it says that Beyom Chasenosai, the day of our marriage, Yom Kippur is called the day of our marriage because that's the day that God gave us the second tablets, which are kind of a reinforcement of our marriage. And again, so many, every time we do a mitzvah, what do we say? Asher Kiddishanu, which simply means He has sanctified us. But the deeper meaning is Kiddishanu, so says in Tanya, Kiddishanu, you have married us through the mitzvah. Because every time we do a mitzvah, we are actualizing and revealing our marriage between us and Hashem. So we are married to God. Good. What's with divorce? The reason there is divorce down here in the world, because very, very sadly, there is a concept of a divorce between God and the Jewish people. Where is the divorce, chas v'shalom, between Hashem and the Jewish people? When the Jewish people went to exile... There's many references that that going to exile was considered chas v'shalom, the, 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 the God divorcing the Jewish people. Considered a divorce. The Gemara says in Masech Sanhedrin that the Jewish people answered God, tshuva nitzachas, the Yidin, when they were in exile, during the Babylonian exile, the first exile, ten, ten respectable figures, I think, of the Jewish people came before Yecheskel Hanavi. And they wanted to petition Yechezkel and Avi to speak to God, to do something on their behalf. That he should take away the horror of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was torturing them and causing... And they came to plead with the Navi. And the Navi said to the Jewish people, do tshuva. God wants you to repent. And the Jewish people answered, these ten people, said to Yechezkel and Avi. And the Gemara says, they, it's a tshuva nitzachas. They gave God a powerful answer. They said, if a man divorces his wife... Does he still have something upon her? Can he still demand of her that she should cook him dinner? Or can he still ask of her that she should do his laundry or whatever? If what? If he divorced her. Does he have on, on her anything? Or if a, or if a master um, um, sells his, his servant? If he sold the servant to another master, does he still have a claim on that servant? God sold us into slavery. He sold us to the Buchanetzar. God went and he, and, he, and, he, and he divorced us. Therefore, how can he expect us to be loyal to his Torah and to his mitzvahs? That's what God answers. Hashem says, Where is that bill of divorce? I want you to show me where is the get. I haven't seen the get. Pull out the get. Let me see that divorce. Did I really divorce you? So God claims there wasn't a divorce. But on the other hand, the Gemara says it's a tshuva nutzachas. The Jews did say a, a victorious response. They answered a, a good answer. We're divorced. And we do find references in sages in many places that, the, that, that golos is called a gerishim. In the beginning of Echa, the Medrash goes through how Adam Arishon sinned and God banished him. Uh, the Jew, uh, and, and it goes through like a bunch of people there. Uh, this happened, and, it, and then it says, so to the children. No, no it, it doesn't, I'm sorry, it does an analysis, a comparison between Adam and the Jewish people. And it does many things that happened with Adam. Hashem did them this for Adam, and then this happened. And, th- and then it says, in the end, Hashem banished him, so to the Jewish people, Hashem banished us, gave us a gerish. So there are many references to this idea that, that Golos is a gerish, is a divorce. Now the question, however, is, is it really a divorce? You see, the Gemara answers and says, God said, show me the divorce. It's not a divorce. 
Yeah, divorce, not a divorce. And if it's not a divorce, if it's not really, if there's no, if there's no divorce, hold it, then what? Then how do we have divorce down here? Everything in the material, physical world has to materialize from the spiritual element. And if in the, if in the real marriage that exists on the godly scale that God married, there is no divorce, then there couldn't be a possibility in our interpersonal marriages. So there must be that there is divorce. But yet we're saying there isn't divorce. Yeah and no at the same time. How does it work? So the idea is simply a halachic question. In order to give a divorce, a man must take that get and take it out of his domain and he must give it into his wife's domain. The get has to leave your property and go in to one's spouse's, the wife's property. If it doesn't go out of the man's property, then the divorce is invalid. It didn't work. That's the law. So if that's the case, that means, for example, if a man goes and he's in his own house, that he owns the house, puts the divorce down on the table, and he says, here it is, and she says, good, but the table is his table, and the table is in his apartment, and it's his house, then what? It's not a, it's not a get. If he gives it to her in her property, it's different. But it has, to go, it has to go out of his property and into hers. Here the question then is, how could God give a divorce to us? If Hashem is everywhere, is it possible to go out of God's domain? The whole thing doesn't make any sense. You cannot go out of Hashem's domain. So Hashem could never have given us a get, that, and we should say that it has left him, it didn't leave him because he's everywhere. Doesn't work. There's no place devoid of God. And here's another halacha. Another halacha is when a man gives a, a, a get to his wife, even if it goes into her property, but if he can still snatch it back, then the get is not a get. For example, he holds, he attaches a string, literally a string's attached. He holds it with a string and he gives it to her. So if the string is going to rip if he yanks it, and the get will stay in her hands, then it's a get. But if he puts a, a strong enough rope that if he pulls it, he can pull it back. So even if she's clutching it very strong and they're having a tug of war and they're fighting, he get, and technically he can't take it. But since the rope is really strong enough to pull it, the get is not, the get is invalid. You see a teaser crazy man this guy is? He's giving his wife already the divorce. He's holding the string and he can yank it out of her hands. But what happens? Okay. So you see, now the story is with God. If that's the case with a get, can we say that God can give a get to us and not take it back? Not snatch it out? Of course, Hashem can do it. So therefore there's no divorce. So there's no get. So how, how can we speak? I mean, everything in Hashem also has to obey halacha. So if the halacha requirements are those that are requirements, so there can't be a divorce. And the answer is that even though, this is very, very deep and very important, that even though God is everywhere, but that's only in a hidden way. In the revealed way, the way it is revealed and the way it is experienced, from Avram Avinu onward, God was here in this world. Avram Avinu brought Hashem into this world, continued with Yitzchak, and the main revealed presence of the Shekhinah and of Hashem in this world happened by the giving of the Torah. And it lasted until the Beis Amigdash was built and throughout the entire time of the Beis Amigdash. But when the Beis Amigdash was destroyed, God took away His revealed presence of this world and Hashem went across the sea. He went up to a hidden place, the sea representing the great barrier that separates between the spiritual world and the physical world down here. And it's as if God is not here. 
That means, of course, he's here, but it's as if he's not here because he's hidden and he's concealed. In the words of the Zohar, it says, God has departed above, above. Like we talk a scene, we don't have to hear the Zohar for this. We see literally that throughout the last 2,000 years, how many times was the question asked? Again and again, we ask the question, where was God? Where was God in Auschwitz? Where was God during the Inquisition? Where was God during the Crusaders? Where is the Abishter during all the suffering? Where, where? How? So it looks like Hashem is not around. People are crying. There's so much pain. And the world is left to be a jungle. Where horrible monsters and horrible people can, 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 can wreak havoc and do what they want and butcher Hashem's people. So, that's because Hashem is hidden. Because Hashem has gone. Le Medina Sayyam. What are we saying when we started saying Echa? Echa Yashva Badad. Ha'ir Haisa Ka'almana. She's like a widow. And it says, the Gemara says, a widow? That means Chas Vashalim, her husband died. So, Ka'almana, like a widow. Like a widow whose husband has gone across the sea. The husband has gone across the sea, but he's planning to come back, but he went across the sea. So now she's without a husband. God has removed himself from the physical world. He created a space down here that seems to be godless. Seems like Hashem is not here. Now, once there is that retraction, where Hashem removed himself, his revealed presence from the physical world, now you have the possibility of chas v'shalem creating that ability where Hashem can give us a divorce. Where the divorce would be legitimate. Because he's actually giving that divorce, and it, the divorce leaves God's space, and it enters into our space. In regards to the second question we said before, that God can always snatch it back, that even if it goes into our space, the fact that he has a string attached, and he can pull it back, the husband, then it doesn't allow for divorce to be divorced, that too is, is, has been kind of halachically dealt with. God made an oath, Hashem made an oath, so it says in Medrash Echa, that Hashem, a fascinating piece of Medrash, it says that Hashem, when he knew and he said, as long as I'm in the Beis Hamikdash, the, na- the, the Gentiles will never be able to destroy it. Let me leave. And Hashem left the Beis Hamikdash. And let me make an oath that I will not return until the time of the redemption has arrived. Until Ace Kates. Since Hashem swore, made an oath that he's not going back, then literally he can't take the divorce back. So if you say he can't, no, he can't. Because there is a divorce, not a divorce, there is a shavua that is not allowing. So chas v'sholem, the very painful thing is, reality is, that it's possible to say that there has been a divorce. Because there is that, that hiddenness, Hashem has hidden, and the husband has gone to Medina Sayyam. Well this, by the way, explains, as we said earlier, that what? Why the entire Mesechtes Gitten begins with such a remote case of a man sending a divorce across the sea, because that's the only case for the true, deeper divorce to happen, the godly divorce with his people, is only when a husband is sending it from across the sea because God is here, then he would be, then this is his domain because he owns the whole world and he couldn't give a divorce, chas v'shalom, for Knesset Yisrael. Why, why would God go across the sea? Why would Hashem leave? And the answer is, we say in, 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 in Mishnah, you should know everything that's above is from you. Simply the Mishnah says, you should know what's above of you. It's a Mishnah Pirkei Know what's above you. But the Holy Mizritcha Magid says, Da, you should know what is above, is from you. You're the one who decides how everything happens above. The way you act, God will act 
reflect that. And the same is also, the Baal Shem Tov says, Hashem Tzilch, Hashem is your shadow. In the exact same way that we put forth, God does the same thing. Chas v'shalom, when we go out for lunch, when we, the Jewish people, go across the sea, when we leave the land of Israel and we go across the sea, that caused the Abishter, God Almighty, also to go across the sea. What does it mean that we're the ones who Chas v'shalom, Nebuch, made that first mistake of going across the sea? What does it mean we go across the sea? Going across the sea means going away from the land of Israel. Going away from Eretz Yisrael. And what does it mean, Eretz Yisrael? Eretz Yisrael means, Eretz means land of Israel, but the deeper meaning is your Jewish desire. Yisrael is your Jew. Eretz comes from the word Ratzon. Why is Eretz, the Gemara says, why is Eretz, why was, why Rashi brings it, why was Eretz called Eretz? Sheratzitza, desire to do the will of its creator. Every single Jew has, lives in Eretz Yisrael. That means every single Jew has a Jewish desire. And that's our truest, deepest desire. We want nothing else but to have a relationship with Hashem. We want to do His mitzvahs, we want to be close to Him. That's in the heart of every Jew. That's the desire, that's there, that makes a difference. Secular, religious, doesn't make a difference. Right, left, super left, it doesn't make a difference. Every single Jew has Eretz Yisrael, has a desire at the core. And that's our deepest desire that we have, is to be related, to be connected to Hashem, to be attached to Him. Chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom. The Jew goes away from Hashem. He goes away from that desire. We lose ourselves. How? Because we suddenly got onto a boat and started moving here and there. And the, the, we went into the, 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 the ocean. What's the ocean? The, the ocean of Klippa. The ocean of unholiness. That help, that chas causes the neshama to drift, the person to drift away from their own eretz, from their own desire. Simply it means that you suddenly don't feel within yourself that drive. We don't feel within ourselves our primal drive to be connected to Hashem. We don't feel it. And we've drifted away from our own desire to be connected. Instead, we have all kinds of other desires. We have a desire to make a lot of money. We have a desire for a nice home. We have a desire to go on nice vacations, to eat a lot of good food, and to have a good time, and for prestige, and for this, and for this kind of entertainment, and that kind of entertainment, and the deep desire that we're supposed to feel, now comes the month of El, and we're thinking about, Anila Dodi, I am to, and I don't find my desire, I don't find it, I don't know what happened to it. I'm swimming, I feel myself being tossed by an ocean of distractions, by so many things, and I don't have my desire, I've drifted away from the land. And here's the idea, going across the sea means that you're, in, you're, you're living in a land so far that you can't even, there's a great, it's not easy to get back. That's the whole idea of being Medina Sayam means, he's not just, see, Tosas asked the question, why doesn't it say Chutzli Aretz? Why does the, someone brings a get from Chutzli Aretz. Why does it say from Medina Sayam? So Tosas says, no, it doesn't apply to Chutzli Aretz. If it's outside of Israel, but it's close to Eretz Yisrael, that means you're, it's possible to go by land, it's possible to come there, then you don't have to, these laws don't apply. It's only if you're in a place where there is a real barrier. What's the barrier? What, what does Torah call a barrier? There is a water. Why? What does the water body represent? And spiritually, you say it's a water. Because when there is a water body, what that means is that you, with your own human powers, can't get there. Because a human being can't cross the ocean on his own. You can't walk on the ocean. You, more than that, you can't even use a regular vehicle. You can't drive your car there. You can't even use an animal. Usually we travel to distant places, hop onto a horse, go.
Go on a donkey. You might not be able to walk this great distance. You're going through a desert. Use a camel. But you can use a beast. An animal can take you. Here even the animal doesn't work. The only thing that will work is a boat. And even that is dangerous. To come across the sea. So what does that mean spiritually? Spiritually that means, and here this is so, so powerful. And so sad. A person finds himself in a situation where you've drifted away and you don't feel your Jewish desire anymore. I'm not talking about a person that's not a... I'm talking about us. We don't feel our desire. And we want to, we want to. It's not like we don't want to, but we want to want. And what do we try? So we want to first use our intellect. We want to use our intellect. So we go to a shear, a stimulating shear. And you listen to the shear and it's a great shear and it stimulates your mind, but it doesn't stimulate your desire. You left the shear and you still don't have your desire. That means that the human, that means the, the, the intellect represents the human. That means the human on his own devices cannot get back to your will. You're not finding your will. So you try going to five classes. Baruch Hashem, our Elul booklet is full with classes. You go to five classes and you still haven't found your desire. You're still living in chutzliyaretz. You're still living in all the other desires besides the desire for God. So you say, you know what? Next week, Tuesday, there's going to be a fabreng in kumzitz music. Let me try to reach the heart with emotion. Let me use emotion. Animal is called emotion. Let me hop on a horse, a donkey, a camel. Let me try to find my desire through using an animal to get there. No, if there's an ocean there, even an animal doesn't work. Even your emotions can't take you back into your desire. So where am I? I'm wandering, I'm lost. Well, you need to take a ship. It's a whole cruise. It's a whole geshef. It's a whole story to get back. This is a very pathetic state. And this is nebach, the state of the Jewish people during the time of exile. Everybody to a certain degree has lost their connection to this level of desire. So when this happens to us, that happens above as well. And Hashem also departs. And He goes away from His desire in us. He goes, He retracts. And then there is space, chas v'shalem, between us and Him. And we're living in one domain, He's living in another domain. And chas v'shalem, God can deliver a divorce. But however, the MS is, says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, I, and only the Rebbe can say this. He says, it's not true. It's not true. It's really not true. Why? The get is really not a get. Why is it not a get? Because vanoichi astir astir panai. Because even though God has hidden himself in this world, and during the time of God, God, it looks like a jungle. It looks like a free-for-all. It looks like anybody can do whatever they want. But what does the Pasik say? I will hide my face. I will hide my face means as it says, I will be in the hiding. God is pretending to hide, but He is there. I'm in the Hester. Hashem never lets go of us for one minute, even in that exile. So it looks like He's not there, but He really is there. And you see that, take a look. The shliach, the guy who brings the get. Who are the shluchim? Who are the ones who execute the get between God and Israel? Who is the one who delivered that bill of divorce? You know who delivered it? Nebuchadnezzar delivered it. He's the shliach. Titus, Titus, who, who, who burnt the base of Migdash. He is the shliach. And all the shluchim, all the Christian uh, countries who allowed for the crusades, for the inquisition, all these things that made people in the world say that the Jewish people have been, set, have been already kicked out by God, that God doesn't desire them anymore. Hitler, when he, when he, with, with the final solution, these were all people that were the agents, so to speak, to, to, to make the divorce. They're the ones who brought the divorce. 
Says the Gemara that the, divorce, the, that the person, the agent who comes to give the divorce has to say, it was written before me and it was signed before me, meaning that I'm not the one doing this. I don't have the power to do this. Meaning even though the, these monsters down here, they whatever, but their, their source, their spiritual angels above, they know that they're powerless to do anything to us. That they are coming as a shliach of God. They're coming as Hashem's emissary to do what they need to do for whatever reason. But what does that mean? That means that God is here operating in them and through them. That means they too are in Hashem's domain. And if in there in Hashem's domain, then Hashem is here. And if Hashem is here, there's no divorce. You see what the first halach of Masech des Gitten is? The first halach of Masech des Gitten is that there's no get. Why is there no get? Because the only way the get can happen is the shliach has to say, the agent, the agent are all these, all these brutes that were kind of here to execute this divorce have to testify that they're not acting with their own power. Nebuchadnezzar has to recognize he's not doing it. He can destroy him based on English. Hashem sent him to do so. If God is sending him, then God is in control. Then God is there in them. That's what we said earlier. I am in that concealment. So if I'm there, then again, then Hashem is here. If Hashem is here, there's no divorce. So there really is no divorce. But why is it? Let's just do a few more minutes. Why is it that we have this paradox then? There is a divorce and there is no divorce. There is a divorce. And the answer is like this. We said before that the entire separation that there is between Hashem and the Jewish people, we said earlier that the entire separation that there is between God and Israel and Hashem and the Jewish people comes only because we have separated. We've gone away. But let's really figure out how true is that when it looks like we have gone away. When it says we've gone away, did we really, really go away? We said we have gone away. Did we really go away? So here's what happened. When Hashem came down to get... The, the, the rule is when you get married... Let's, let's talk for a second in the laws of marriage. When you marry a woman, the woman has to give her, her consent. Even though it's the man doing the marriage, doing the act of the acquisition, the woman has to give her consent. Did God get our consent at Har Sinai? So Hashem did get our consent. We said Nasev and Ishma. But Hashem really wanted a bur- wanted to blast that Nasev and Ishma into the depth of our soul. So what did God do? He took the mountain and held it over our heads. According to Hasidus, when God took the mountain and held it over our heads, what that really means, and He forced us. According to Hasidus, it means that when you see God Almighty, the infinite God, the creator of the entire universe, with all of His blazing holiness and light, and incredible sweetness and beauty, and everything, majestic power and might, get down on His knees, and ask you to marry Him. Is there any heart in the world that would not melt from the love, from the powerful outpouring of, of course, I will marry you. So the marriage, the, the, the fire, what really happened over here was a powerful, powerful response and that and that longing and that, and that expression went so deep and it drew forth rather the depth of the Jewish so strong that it etched itself in the Jewish psyche deep 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 at the Jewish psyche in such a deep place that a Jew will always 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 want to be married to Hashem to the point that if chas v'shalom, there are times that we think we don't want to, what does Maimonides say? That 
you can, that when a Jew claims that he really doesn't want to do a mitzvah, and if he's, even if he's kicking and screaming that he doesn't want to do the mitzvah, you can force him to do the mitzvah. Even though in, Jews we, in Judaism we don't believe in compulsion, because com, compelling someone to do something, Maimonides says it's not really compelling him, because the reason really wants to. He has a Yetzirah that has gotten on his heart that has caused him to disconnect from his real desire, but his true desire that he really, really wants to. Because it's not possible there should be a Jew who doesn't want to, because every Jew wants to. Every Jew really, really, really wants to. Do God's what's impossible, it's our essence. It's our essence, it's our essence. So even if we're claiming we don't, see, basically the whole idea that we went away from our desire, from our Jewishness, is fake, it's not real. That's in, a, that's in a conscious outer part of our being. But in a more essential essence, every Jew has an absolute desire to be married to God and to do His will all the time with love, with excitement. There's something there that's blocking. There's 2,000 years of gullus. Of course, it got cold. Of course, there is a crust. But, but pour through that crust and there will be gushing lava of the Jewish heart, as it's gushing forth with love, with desire to cleave to God. And here's a story. Because by us it's fake, it's not our real desire, the same is by Hashem as well. You know what it says in the Medrash God did? It's a frightening Medrash. Mamish made me cry when I, was, when I opened this up before. Suddenly it hit me so strong, I've never seen the Medrash. Is like, it says like this, Hashem gave permission. The same Medrash I said before that God said, I'm stepping out of my home. So God steps out of his home and then he tells the angels, let's go see what they did to my house. And he goes and he looks and he sees what the Romans and what they've done and the destruction. And Hashem starts weeping and crying. And he's crying and he says, now I'm chased away from my, from my dwelling place. I have to go to my original place that I don't like up there in heaven. I want to be here on earth. And God is weeping. And it says that the Malachim come to Hashem, Malach Metatroin. And the Malach says to Hashem, don't cry. I'm going to cry for you. You don't cry. And God says, if you don't let me cry, I'm going to run to a hidden secret place where no one can reach me, and over there I'm going to weep. Hashem is weeping. That The Medrash describes such gushing tears. Hashem is sobbing. So hold it, you just got angry at them. You just said they don't care about you. You don't like them. The answer is, that's not true. God pretends his heart gets cold, we get cold, but that's fake. That's not real. Deep inside, he can't get over us. And we can't get over him. So that's why there is, there is the essence, and the essence, there's no divorce. There is the external, and in the external, there is chas v'shalom, a divorce. It's not a real divorce. So it comes out that the divorce is never real. But let me just add one more point, and then we're done. And this will explain everything. Not only is the divorce not real, the divorce actually brings out a deeper union than it. Than, than, it's not only a divorce is just superficial. It's not real. So it's on the outside. Because deep inside, we really always want to be connected. And Hashem also really wants to be connected much, much deeper. As long as we never got divorced, you can think, you can imagine that the reason why He loves us and we love Him is because it's conditional love. Well, he loves us because we're going to keep His Torah, because we're going to do His mitzvahs. You can think that the reason why He wants... He, he took us as his wife is because we're going to be the Jews who always are b- beautiful for him and we're always making a, making a beautiful table for him and, and, prepare, and giving him his food and taking care of him and that's why he loves us it's all conditional it's based on this and based on that so God reaches a point when we haven't done anything 
And Hashem is so frustrated, and he's so angry, and he says, I'm leaving, and I'm never coming back again. And he, and he, and he slams the door, and he leaves. And what does he do that the next night? He burrows into his pillow, and he cries, and he weeps. Why? Because he can't get over us. When does he figure that out? Kiviyachal, of course. He figures it out, Dafka after he divorces us. So to speak, divorce. He must have us back, because he can't divorce us. That means Dafka the divorce brings out the essential oneness that even Torah didn't reveal. Now you understand why a get has to be a book one, because the oneness that comes out of the divorce is even deeper than the oneness that was expressed when God gave the Torah. When God gave the Torah, you can look at it as conditional love. Because of all these reasons, He loves us. We love Him because of all these reasons. But we didn't see it until the get comes along. Until it comes gullus. And on our part, it's the same thing. We lose our desire. We don't have our desire. We don't have our Eretz Yisrael. We don't have that inner drive. And yet, we cannot stop keeping Shabbos. We cannot stop keeping kosher. Even if we're not these hyper-spiritual people. Go through all the Jewish... Who is spiritual today? No one is spiritual. But everybody's still doing mitzvahs. Why? I'm not going to keep Shabbos. I'm not going to keep... Because we cannot, even if we lost, because it's our essence, that's the idea. The divorce, dafka the divorce, brings out the deeper union. That's why the get has to be safer echad. That's why a get has even a deeper level of unity. Of course, chas v'shalem, as it materializes in interpersonal relationships, there is gitin, there is a real chas v'shalem, a real severance. But as we said before, that too is also for the sake of rebuilding new, new relationships. It's not for the sake of breaking. It's the sake sometimes of rebuilding a new relationship. But with God, the idea is that if the Eibishter Chas V'Shalom gave us a get, it's only for the sake of discovering a deeper union and a deeper oneness. May the Eibishter fall in love with us one more time. And by the way, that's why Mesechtas Gitin leads into Mesechtas Kedushin because we, we want to understand that after the divorce... Because also because because really even if you have a get and it's taka, it shows the deeper essence but it's not revealed after all two thousand years of alienation who needs this it's true there is such a depth only a tzaddik sees that but to us it's we're out in the cold we're divorced so after gitin we need kedushin we need our second marriage our second marriage really means that whatever we discovered the depth of the relationship that we discovered during the divorce should now translate in an open, loving relationship where we get married to Hashem now the second time. It's not really a new marriage, the same marriage, but we've now revealed what we've never known about our, how deep our union is during the time of our separation. May we merit that the Eberster should have mercy on us and this El of Anila Dodi Vidodili see the beauty of Israel and really recognize how inseparable he is from us and we are from him. May we marry... M- m- merit the happiest marriage and it should last forever and ever. Shabbat Shalom.